Hey y'all, welcome back to New Slang. I'm your host, music journalist Thomas Mooney, and we're kicking off the last week of September being joined by singer-songwriter Sean Devine. I had a hell of a conversation with Sean a couple of weeks back about his latest record, Here For It All. He released the Reflective Storyteller record nearly a month ago. It was down in the far west Texas deserts near El Paso that Sean recorded Here For It All, way out west at Sonic Ranch with Josh Thompson producing and Cody Jinks' band serving as Sean's backing band on the project. They naturally hit it out of the park, giving country folk textures to Sean's Montana storytellers. This one with Sean was awful fun. We spoke about recording down at Sonic Ranch, writing songs like the storyteller Clay Bluffs, spending time down in Texas, his home out in Montana, and what continues to drive him to find more stories worth telling. I think you'll enjoy it too. We'll get into it, but first. Today's presenting partner is our pals over at Desert Door Texas Sultal. If you've been listening to New Slang for really any amount of time, you'll know that Desert Door is one of my all-time favorite premium, high-quality spirits. If you haven't or aren't sure what exactly a Sotol is, I'm going to let you in on a little secret that's going to up the game on your liquor cabinet. For starters, the best reference point that I can point you to is to think about a tequila or a mezcal. Do you feel that western desert, that Texas ruggedness? Okay, Soto is like that, but a little bit more refined, smooth, and fragrant. It intrigues the palate and offers these hints of vanilla and citrus. There's an earthiness that often sends me right back to my Trans-Pecos and Far West Texas roots. There's plenty to love about Desert Door. For me, it all starts right there. A close second is just how versatile Desert Door really is. You can go full highbrow and experiment with concocting a variety of cocktails that call for muddling fresh fruit, sprigs of thyme, sticks of cinnamon. It's perfect for that world. If you're a little bit more down home, if you've just rolled up the sleeves of your denim Wrangler button-up, it's perfect for that as well. If you're just desiring something that's short and sweet, it hits the mark every time. Desert Door is genuine and authentically West Texan. It's inherently West Texan. They harvest soto plants out in the wild and are knowledgeable conservationists at heart. That's obviously something incredibly important to me. They shine a light on what makes West Texas special and unique and worth preserving and keeping it safe from exploitation. Right now, you can find Desert Door all over Texas, Colorado, Tennessee, and there's budding numbers in places like New Mexico, Arizona, California, and Georgia. Best thing you can do is to check out DesertDoor.com to find where Desert Door is locally. Again, that's DesertDoor.com. If this is your first time listening, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. New slang is available just about everywhere. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, though, leave one of those five-star reviews. Go check out the merch store. There's plenty of cool new slang stuff. Shot glasses, coffee mugs, t-shirts, stickers, what have you. That's also where you can pre-order my debut book. It's called The Lubbock Way. It's just me self-publishing, so it's going to be in limited supply. As the title alludes, it's about a short period within the Lubbock music scene. Stories and thoughts about some of your favorite songwriters. All the links that I just mentioned, they will be in the show notes. Okay, let's get into it. Here is Sean Devine. on is that you just released a new record and you know I, I guess from what I from what I understand 
you know, this, this record has been, you know, in the can, if you will, for, for a minute now. And I guess original plans were, you know, to have this out last year, but with, with the way that things were last year, um, you know, it was, everything was just up in, in limbo and up in the air and no one really in the music business knew how to release a record or if you should release a record without touring and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's finally here for you. Um, I'm assuming, you know, that, that kind of, at least in a, in a sense feels like a, not just accomplishment, but some sense of relief, like, okay, it's finally out. And, um, you know, here's the record guys. Yeah. Well, you're, you're right on. My considerations were, as you described, um, there didn't seem to be any point in putting out uh, a new album if I couldn't go out and, and tour it because that's the, the, the principal way to monetize these things, you know, is to get people to come out to your shows. So I, when, when we began to realize that the pandemic was going to stretch on and on and on, that, uh, yeah, we had it mixed uh, and I just decided to just sit tight uh, and that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but you know now i kind of for instance uh my buddy ward davis who kind of got this whole ball rolling for me with uh, josh thompson and the tone deaf hippies in the first place he went ahead and put out a new record mid-pandemic and and that turned out to be excellent timing on his part the kind of the coast was clear a lot of people in the industry were sitting on projects or didn't know whether they should put something out and he kind of had an open lane and and his record did great and uh maybe a lot of us you know who decided to wait and see and just when we thought things were going to open back up all of a sudden there's this flood of new records so for instance i have a publicity team helping me out i you you were in touch with allison i guess that's how you and i got connected mm-hmm. uh, and there's a, and a radio guy joe swank is out there pushing this thing out to uh, to fm radio and, you know, they're coming back saying, you know, we're pushing every day, but God, it's just a big pile of new releases out there. <laughs> Everybody put out their new record. <laughs> yeah. Because the pandemic was finally easing up, you know, and now we've got this big glut of records out there and we're all excited about the possibilities and the pandemic comes roaring back. So it's anybody's guess, uh, man. But what I really hope is that it manages to cut through and some people get to hear this thing because I'm really proud of it. I'm really excited about it. It, Getting to work with, with Josh Thompson and the tone deaf hippies at the Adobe room at Sonic ranch. I mean, that's the place where they've made some really cool records. You know, those Cody Jinx records were made there going back to the Adobe sessions. And, uh, and those guys are really comfortable in that space and they've been playing together for a long time. They're a really great band. Josh just dropped my songs into that kind of, you know, chemistry. And, and they came back with a record that hallelujah, it sounds like a Sean divine record. You know, it, it they did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they stepped out of their Cody jinx mode just enough to, to create a new sound around my songs. I'm, I, I couldn't be uh, more delighted with the whole thing. It's just, uh, it's, it's a wonderful project. And, uh, and I, yeah, I'm, so here I, I, I'm standing on the edge of another moment of decision. Do I try to lay out a bunch of dates, uh, for this fall and see what starts getting canceled? Or do I just like go back on the reins and hold up here and take another look at this? I don't even know anymore. 
I, I know that's how I kind of feel with with everything as well. It's there's just so much up in the air that you, I don't know. Um, last year it felt like we were being strung out four four weeks at a time or something, six weeks at a time. Like you know, um, midsummer should be lighting up. Uh, late summer it should be light, and then like they just kept on pushing the deadline back, and then it yeah. felt like it opened up again, and we were it was a little bit of a freeing feeling, you know, spring of this last year or of this year. And then all of a sudden again, now it feels like it's, uh, we're, we're going back to that here in four weeks, but it's the other way around. Like four weeks from now, it's going to be worse or like six weeks from now, it's going to be worse. And again, you're just kind of up in this limbo period basically. And it's just such a weird thing. You mentioned Ward, you know, Ward was on last fall. Uh, when he released his record, and yeah, that's kind of where everyone was zigging, and he went ahead and zagged back, you know, and done done well for him. Sometimes cutting across the grain, you know, it's a it's a ballsy call to make, and it really panned out for him. And I I'm excited for him too, man. I think that's great. You know, I I like Black Cats and Crows. That's on my uh, on my uh, Apple Music. I listen to that driving down the road. Uh, Ward was at my house recently. We had a really fun get together over here. He played in Livingston, my hometown, and uh, put on a great show. And then they had a day off from the road, and I invited him out, uh, Ward and the band, and we had a little party out here at my place. And I mean, I don't know how much I should really go on about that. <laughs> 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 we had a great time, and and they got back on the road the next day in pretty good shape, I think. <laughs> that's uh you know obviously up there in montana i wonder if that's the is that kind of the norm as far as like there being you know a couple more days off a couple more days that you just kind of work in when it when it comes to the tour scheduling when when a band's coming out west where they um not just necessarily driving but you know just wanting to soak up some of that landscape and you know maybe uh you know, a guy like you, you're, you're going to be like, hey, I can show you the some spots for the uh, the day off. Is that have you have you noticed that, or is that kind of uh, you know not necessarily always the case? Well, I don't know that Ward had a lot of say in in where and when his days off on the road would occur. You know, that True Grit, uh, mm-hmm. his agent lays that out for him, and I think that probably what they're trying to accomplish is to keep everybody busy. And it's a long drive to the gigs in Montana. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. they were speaking of zigging and zagging <laughs> around the state. So they'd had a lot of windshield time in by the time they got to me. But but my place has been on the musician trail for a long time. And and, uh, and I take a great pleasure in, in hosting bands on the road. People put me up when I'm on the road. You know, just, I mean, as simple as like having a quiet and safe place to park the van, which I sleep in when I'm, when I'm touring is those are grand gestures. And if you wake up in the morning and somebody's got some good coffee on and they're making like, um, I don't know, biscuits and gravy or something, (laughs) you know, those are, those are sweet, sweet times. And I've got a little place out in the country. My neighbors are, are, are old ranching families, uh, here in. Yellowstone, the upper Yellowstone River Valley. So it it's quiet, you know, and if you, you can kind of feel like you can stretch out a little bit. Yeah, to Clint Park and I 
uh, went down the river. I took him on a float, um, got him a fishing license, and we didn't catch any fish. I don't know. The conversation got pretty good, and we did have a cooler full of beers on the boat. Uh, I, it seemed like after a point we kind of forgot about trying to catch fish. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked out. You know, we had a great time. And, I, yeah, I really enjoy that. I, I, I have some old friends, and I look forward to them coming, camping out in the yard and, and hanging out with me when I'm here and they're coming through. It's, it's a pleasure. Yeah, like that's how I, I kind of figured it'd be because you mentioned those long drives. And, of course, like, you know, someplace like Texas where I'm at, you know, you, you throw a rock and you're going to hit a music venue um, out here. And so, you know, it's just one of those where you try and get as many – what was that? One of the things I love about Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you can find music in a, you know any night of the week kind of thing. And um, what Texas I, I, where located? I'm I'm up here in Lubbock. Oh yeah, the blue light. Ah. Yeah, the the old blue light. That's a uh, yeah. I've seen you up here, and it's uh that's always like kind of one of my favorite things. Is now I don't do it nearly as often just because you know you, you don't find getting out uh i guess like the energy to to go out on every tuesday and wednesday and thursday <laughs> uh kind of thing but you know those are like always my kind of my favorite days to to go out because especially if you don't know who's playing or you've only seen the name on the marquee or whatever and or on the website and you just go oh, well let me go check that person out and the the discovery of music in that capacity is always the what i what i love yeah, and it and and what a fine place to. I mean, I when I first got booked at the Blue Light Live, it was, you know, it was actually part of this same Ward Davis Cody Jenks connection. I went to see them play in Billings, Montana, and uh, Cody had two support acts. It was it was uh, Coulter Wall and Red Shahan. Mm-hmm. And I had the, you know, the, the all access pass and I was backstage trying to make a dent in that truckload of Miller lights that follows <laughs> Cody ever he goes and just visiting. And, uh, yeah, Josh Thompson introduced me around to, to all those guys. And it turned out that, uh, Parker Morrow is playing bass, uh, with Red Shahan. And a guy that goes by the moniker Pawpaw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Parker's book in the Blue Light. And Pawpaw uh, is, I guess, one of the owners of Magnolia Motor Lounge in Fort Worth. And the next time I went to Tex, a couple months later, I was playing at the Blue Light and at Magnolia. Yeah, absolutely. Two great then, places and plenty of great then, people right there. Yeah. Right. I started to understand where I was a little bit, you know, I mean, I've, I've known of Lubbock as being like Buddy Holly country and Flatlanders country. You mentioned Butch, Han- Butch Hancock uh, a, a little bit earlier, um, but man, they grow some songwriters in Lubbock, Texas. That place has, well, I don't have to tell you, <laughs> <laughs> but the, I think it was the second or third time I've been back to the blue light. I had the night off. I, I hit town on a, a Monday night, and I was booked to play on Tuesday night because I'm a single, and and that's you know that's when Parker will put like solo acts up Tuesday, Wednesday. 
um, so I, I, I was there for songwriter night and, uh, uh, and I signed up, <laughs> you know, why not? And, uh, I just happened to be there on the same night that, uh, William Clark Green was in the club and hanging out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he had a bunch of friends. I don't even know who all, I met a lot of people that night and I heard great song after great song. And some of them were from the likes of William Clark Green and some of them were the likes of people who literally just got off their day job and, and showed up at the blue light to have a couple beers and play their new song. And, and I, I just thought, man, this is the place, <laughs> you know? People do this all the time in this town. This is what they do for entertainment. They make art and they come out and sing these songs for their friends. Uh, I, I mean, I was tempted to try to figure out a way to, to relocate, maybe to at least spend some more time. Yeah. In Lubbock, man, I, I, I felt like I'd found a spiritual home out there. Yeah, it, there is something very, very special about this place and specifically like that culture that, that Blue Light is kind of cultivating right there with the the songwriter the the monday night thing because you know you mentioned like you first off you never know who's gonna pop in who's in town and it may be like william clark green or it may be you know red or you know maybe no one shows up right but um you're gonna hear a lot of people who are you know that mixture of like the the 18 year old kid the 21 year old kid chasing the dream thinking like they can be the next, you know, quote unquote, big thing from Lubbock, Texas. And then also the, the person who, as you mentioned, I just got off work and I'm in it for the the sake of the song. And I play these songs for my friends and, you know, it, it's that mixture that, um, you got to have a little bit of both, I think for, for I, a place like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's what makes it a real like grassroots First of all, having a place like the Blue Light that has uh, a cool stage, beautiful sound, by the way. And one of the greatest compliments that that I have ever received uh, that I can recall was at the end of a show, at the end of a set, at the Blue Light when Casey Heckman was running sound. And that guy's got ears a mile wide. You know, he just, he understands the, the detail in the acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. Monitor sound was just glorious. I was just reveling and like hearing myself so well. And uh, after the show, Casey and I think one of the bartenders and I were sitting up at the bar having one. And he said, man, it's so great to have you come through and, and just be doing your own thing like you do. You know, like having your own sound, your own. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm not showing up trying to trying to be... Texas country per se. I'm not trying to uh, imitate or sing songs that I think that those people will like because I'm in their town. I just bring my show, you know. I do my songs, and uh, and I really love it, and I'm all in on that. And it felt really special for Casey to 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 hold that up, particularly, you know, yeah. for uh, for respect. That was really. It just, it confirmed for me that I was in the right place. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I think a lot of people can, especially like, you know, obviously you're not like an 18 year old kid anymore, but you know, the 18 year old 
kid can can think like, oh, I just need to start doing the, you know, the copycat of trying to do the Texas country because that's what's, you know, selling out these big shows. But, you know, when you get comfortable at finding what you want to sound like and what you, what stories you're trying to tell, you know, I think a lot of people end up finding the, uh, you know, not just like people like Casey, but just in general fandom fans, you may not have like all the fans, but you have, you'll end up finding some like diehard fans of them understanding, like, you know, this guy's about the songs and, um, that that's, there's, there's something very, very special about when you get to that spot and, you know, give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt to it, to an audience to understand that like, you know, songs are important and not just, you know, uh, beer cell jingles or, or whatever the case, you know. This episode of New Slang is brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. Blue Light has long been the heart and soul of the Lubbock singer-songwriter scene and has been a home away from home for some of Texas, Americana, country, and rock and roll's finest over the years. Talk with 99.9% of the songwriters who have come out of Lubbock and the panhandle at large over the past 20 years, and they'll point to just how integral and necessary the blue light is. With live music and touring slowly but surely coming back, spots like the blue light are getting back to their usual ways as well. That means music every night of the week. Do you want to see that schedule? Well, I've got a few options for you. One, go to their socials and give them a follow. That is at Blue Light Live on Twitter, at The Blue Light Live on Instagram, and of course, by just searching The Blue Light Live on Facebook. They're consistently posting that week's lineup of shows, as well as those heavy hitters that ought to be on your calendar that are coming up on the horizon. Two, check out bluelightlubbock.com as well. There they have the full schedule, the cover charges, time, any of those specials that may be happening. While there, go check out their merch page. They have a wide range of hats, koozies, hoodies, sweaters, beanies, jackets, and so much more. You can, of course, get all of your merch needs when you go see your favorite band. Take the stage at Blue Light. Just ask the bartender and they will get you all set. Speaking of which... That's another great way of seeing who's playing there. Just go to the Blue Light. It's at 1806 Buddy Holly Avenue here in Lubbock, Texas. And of course, again, that is bluelightlubbock.com. I'll throw a link into the show notes too. Maybe I'll see you there. Okay, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I guess if I'm interpreting what you're saying correctly, it's... um, and, you know, I've been 18 years old for a long time, <laughs> as, you, as you rightly surmised. And and I suppose some part of me, you know, as a performer still is that that kid who wants to please a crowd, you know, who, who wants to get uh, the, the accolades and, and the, the affirmation that goes with that. Uh, I'm not immune to that necessarily, but... Finally, what I what I had to give into, I guess, a long time ago, was that there's something that I do really naturally. You know, there's a there's a sound that I make, and there are songs that I've written because because those songs came to me. You know, they 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 picked me, you might say, and and that's where I tap into a, 
a feeling of a power source, you know, so that the music just comes flowing out in a really effortless way. And I'm not thinking about what I'm doing anymore. And I'm not trying to do anything anymore. If I'm trying to do anything, it's just to stay out of the way, you know, and let the music that, that apparently I'm here to offer just do its thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so when I'm, when I'm feeling good and when I know I'm getting it right, like, look at me, look at me is the last thing on my mind, <laughs> you know? Not on my mind at all. What I'm into is that a vibe gets set up in the room that gradually everybody is, everybody's certainly welcome. The door is wide open and, and people get drawn to that. And then we all share a feeling, you know, we all have an ex- uh, a shared experience. Yeah. And by the end, oh, we've been someplace, you know, we've heard, We've heard the Sean Divine stories, you know, that maybe we never heard before. We've been taken to a new place. And, and I, I think that's what we're out there for. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my impression. <laughs> I know. I think you're right. You know, speaking of like these special kind of places, you already mentioned Sonic Ranch being a, a certain kind of, there's a certain feel, there's an atmosphere out there. There's a mood that, that people tap into. Uh, for those uninformed, you know, it's on the, the border of Texas and Mexico out by El Paso and, you know, little Tornillo, Texas. And, um, you know, as I've talked with people who have gone out there to record, you know, they always mention how you, you kind of feel like you, you're, you're, you're there to do a task because like you're, you know, you go out there for, you know, a week or two or whatever the case is or whatever your, your budget is. And you're you're going to make a record. You're not going home after the the day is finished. You're you're out there and you're staying out there and you're recording and then getting up the next morning and eating breakfast and you're listening to mixes and what all that all the stuff that entails making a record. Uh, it's a destination place. Obviously, this record was was cut over there. Um, had you been out there before? And 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 if not, like what was kind of like your first initial? you know, reaction to, to, to kind of soaking the place up. I had not uh, been out there before. So, uh, I was, I was coming in with, uh, I guess zero bias. You know, I didn't have a particular expectation. I knew that, that, that band Cody and, and the tone deaf hippies had, had made a lot of records there at that point, And that that's, this is a place where they like to work. So, I was certainly enthused about like tapping into that, you know, whatever that special magic is that they had discovered there uh, and undoubtedly helped to cultivate there that, you know, that that was a buzz that's still on. And, and I get to just step into that, that it felt like an enormous privilege um, and still does. And I, you know what? Uh, that said, it there maybe one of the the first surprising things about arriving at Sonic Ranch is uh, what a humble appearing place it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, it, uh, if you if you have some kind of grand notions about where cool records get made, and and you've been to maybe some of the the big shiny studios. Uh, 
in Nashville or, or, or Austin. Uh, this is different. <laughs> different than that. Yeah, the Adobe room was an old machine shop, you know. I think it was a building that was for, like, repairing tractors. There's still a, a big steel I-beam that runs the length of the ceiling that I think even still has the, the pulley wheel on it, you know, for a come-along or something, for, like, lifting an engine out of a tractor. It's They, they kept some of the the old functional features and then did, of course, everything they needed to do about creating a really tight, clean acoustic environment in there. And the old Neve console, you know, I, I, I started making records on tape because that's, what, that's how you did it, you know. I'm, I'm actually a pre-digital guy, and I feel really comfortable working with tape in fact, Austin Blues, we tracked at Cedar Creek uh, in Austin. On uh, We tracked it all, pretty much all live to uh, 2 inch 24 uh, Studer. And, uh, you know, that was thrilling. I, I love to work that way. We did hear for it all on, on digital. I, I'm pretty sure it was a Pro Tools rig. I didn't even really peek under the hood there because I didn't need to. Mm-hmm. But, when you're sitting at one of those old uh, analog consoles, uh, that old Neve, there's a smell. There's a warm electrical smell that comes up from from equipment like that and from like tube uh, limiting amplifiers, you know, or, or some kind of signal chain stuff that you might run a vocal or an acoustic guitar down on the way to the to the board and and all that stuff. So the smell in the control room felt really familiar and really comfortable to me. It made me feel like, yeah, this is a good spot because I can smell like tubes getting hot (laughs) (laughs) of that. Uh, And then there's just one other room in the Adobe room. The the console, the control room sits on essentially half of that building is control room and lounge. And the other is the main room where Josh had – the whole band set up. They had uh, the electric guitar, Chris Clarity's amplifier, and Josh Thompson bass amp were in a separate building, a little house adjacent to the Adobe room with the cables just running out over the ground. So that's how he achieved the necessary isolation, you know, to do multi-track recording so that he could change stuff as he went. But really, it felt like, in a lot of ways to me, it felt like an old-school recording setup and that if I closed my eyes, it was no trouble imagining, you know, the big reel-to-reel going round and round yeah. while we were tracking the songs. It felt really righteous that way, and I really enjoyed that. Now, all that said, the main one of the main things I need to impart about Sonic Ranch is, as you pointed out, it's a destination record. So everybody's kind of sequestered there, and, and you don't go out on the town drinking after a session and then come in hungover and, and like you're staring at a chart and trying to figure out what you wrote yesterday, <laughs> you know, everybody stays in a little bit more of a, of a, a, a disciplined mode, a focused mode, I think, but the overarching thing, uh, even beyond all the things I've already described is the hospitality. You know, the rooms where you sleep out there are really nice and clean and the beds are comfortable and the food 
the food might be reason enough just to go to Sonic Ranch, just to book a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> just go stay for a week or so and uh, and eat in, in these, this big dining room in the, the old main house, I think. from the, It's a pecan farm. It's still a pecan farm. Right. The old main house there, and they've got a kitchen staff that lays it out. Yeah. And so really, like, <laughs> parts about working there that I thought were, were, you know, I might be like actually doing myself a little harm in terms of being able to maintain uh, a strong focus on the material was that every time I sat down to eat, I couldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then it was like hours after that before I was even awake again. <laughs> it was it was great. It was really, really down home, uh, really, very soulful place and, and really a pleasure to work there. Yeah, the, I've heard stories about the the food just being kind of one of those hooks they get into you. You you don't want to leave just because of because of that right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, and so I'm I'm born and raised in Montana, and I guarantee if you come to visit me, uh, and I take you out to something that we call Mexican food, you will probably you'll probably be not saying a lot of things that you're thinking, <laughs> you know, you seem like a really a, a nice guy and it's not that it's bad, you know, but it's Northern Mexican food. It's, it's, uh, we've actually got a new place in Livingston that I think kind of is comparable. Uh, but I didn't know, I didn't know what, what Mexican food or, or Tex-Mex cuisine was until I, toured around Texas even a few times, you know, where I finally got my act together so that I wasn't eating from like drive through windows out of the van, just trying to get to the next, you know, I started to get a feel for the place and I knew where to go sit down and have a meal from time to time. And, uh, and so I, I'm no connoisseur of these things, but, uh, Sonic Ranch was really, uh, it was, it was an eye opener. It was a soul opener in many ways in that way. Yeah. The, yeah, I'd go back. I'd go back and do it all again. Yeah. Back. This episode is in part brought to you by Charlie Stout Photography. Charlie Stout has long been a great buddy of mine, and for as long as I've known him, he's always had a good eye. A good eye for ideas, for lines in a song, and notably an eye for what makes a great photograph. Yes, we're going to roll with that tried and true cliche about a great photographer having a good eye. But it's cliche for a reason. More often than not, it means it's true. Right now, I want y'all to head on over to charliestout.com to get an idea of what I'm talking about. While you're at it, go give him a follow on Instagram and Twitter at charliestout. Right now, he has about 50 photographs for sale on charliestout.com with a vast majority of those being landscapes and sky shots of West Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. The American Southwest, if you will. A lot of cacti and clouds, windmills and open roads, sunsets and stardust. He captures a lot of what I love about West Texas and these dry, arid climates. That's mainly that vast emptiness that can really make you feel small. The depth and the weight and the intensity, it's all in there. Right now, he's doing a special on his prints. Each week, he releases a new photo, and for one week only, that photograph is at a special introductory rate. 
for just $25, you'll get an 8.5 by 11. That's just about half off the regular price. For 75, you can get a 13 by 19, and for 110, you can get a 17 by 22. After the week, they go back to regular prices, which are still an absolute steal if you ask me. Also, just a pro tip, keep a watchful eye out on his Twitter. He's consistently posting one-offs, errors, and randoms on there that are for sale that are in the flash sale variety. Again, that is at Charlie Stout for Twitter and Instagram. Head on over to charliestout.com, grab a signed print, buy a record, get yourself some nature sounds and some nature shots. All right, let's get back to the episode. You know, you say you're not a connoisseur of all, all these things, but I, I tell you, songwriters and bands, specifically bands who are still like in vans, that, those are the people who have their ear to the ground when it comes to, you know, cheap, good food around the country and like where to where to stop in on all these little towns because, you know, they it, obviously if you're in a van, you can you can still pull up and, and eat there and you know uh, you've been all over the place and you, you just kind of I feel like there's that's that's who you you know low key ask is uh people in bands where to eat and then <laughs> even though there uh, I'm going on the other the other side of things here with the uh long distance truck drivers they they too know where a good spot is so <laughs> if you can uh, yeah. get them uh get a book going together right there you map yeah, the, the, the states with every good place to eat the highway culture and uh and uh, yeah if you, if i'm i'm always grateful for sure when somebody says oh you should check out you know some little out of the way like in austin you you can step up to a, a taco wagon you know every other block all throughout south and east austin for sure right mm-hmm and you think you're into some stuff, and then somebody taps you on the shoulder and is like, oh, if you had been to the one, you know, like b- behind the white horse, or, <laughs> you know, there's like, everybody's got their their special taco wagons. And sure enough, you get around, the, like, the other one, you're like, oh, this is better. <laughs> uh, yeah, always. If, if if you ever see me out there, uh, by all means, wise me up, clue me in, show me where <laughs> the very best of like street food or something that I can uh, pick up and take with me because I probably have to keep moving. No, absolutely. But, the uh, the the other thing that I, I really love about what you've done with this record is kind of like those stories, or I guess like the the setup of, of the record as far as the, what I'd call, I guess, like the relationship between you and Josh as far as picking these songs, how, you know, you, you send them over, the, you know, a Dropbox with, you know, 25, 30 songs, and then kind of that, that, that working relationship of figuring out what this record is. Um, I'm always fascinated with, with how a record is done that way where, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes think that, oh, I wrote 10 songs. Here's the record. Here's the, the 10 song record. Uh, and this is the first 10 I wrote. Um, you know, it, most of the times it's, it's not that. It is dwindling down the songs and figuring out what uh, 
works together. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about what that relationship was with Josh as far as like, you know, figuring out what the, the right songs, the right um, tunes were for this record? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I can tell you what little I know about it. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, you know, and this is me reflecting on it now. If you, if you were asking me at that time, what was going on, I, I might've been more inclined to offer some conjecture, but, but looking back on it, I see that, uh, for instance, one of the reasons that it worked out for me to go and cut this record with those guys at Sonic Ranch was that they were already there and they were still recording tracks that would become after the fire and the wanting. I didn't understand at the time. I don't even think they, I don't know if Josh knew at the time that they were, he was going to put out all the songs. <laughs> so <laughs> they were recording a lot of songs and, and they were back at Sonic Ranch and they were on a break from the road because those guys, you know, this was back in 2019 when they were still touring full bore uh, all the time. So I kind of began to understand that I, I know that Josh listened to all the songs that I sent him in that Dropbox folder because I asked him about some titles here and there while we were discussing the record and he he hadn't really confirmed for me. Like I didn't see the, the actual list of songs that he wanted to cut the final list until I got there. <laughs> <laughs> My side of the deal was I was ready to, I was ready to give uh, a solid performance of each and all of, of the songs that I'd sent to him. I, I'd been woodshedding at home, going through all the material I had some stuff I thought was particularly strong and I was looking forward to cutting with those guys. Some of those songs ended up on Josh's list. Some of them didn't, but by the time I got there, you know, I wasn't going to like argue with him about, no, I want to do this song and not that one because I'd hired him to make the Sean divine record that he wanted to hear. And I just wanted to support that finally. But I think that it was probably in some way, it feels to me like it, like this. It was this record kind of taking care of itself in some quasi mystical way because he was busy and he was probably running through those songs and making some pretty rapid judgments. I like that. I like that. And he made a list of that. And you know, Cody had flown out like the day before I flew in. Those guys were all still there, set up in in tracking mode. And then I show up and Josh is like, okay, here's the list. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, and then we started. Like the day that I flew in, we, I, I unpacked my stuff and, and tuned up the guitar and sat down behind the microphones right next to that Neve console staring through the window at the rest of the tone deaf hippies. And Josh is like, all right, this, we're going to start with this song, you know, count it up. <laughs> and that's when I, began to understand you know that these are the songs <laughs> these are actually the <laughs> and uh so i just followed josh's lead on all that and and uh you know i i wouldn't have sent him the songs if i didn't love them anyway i was prepared to do all of them but after we'd cut these songs and and we were starting to work our way through the mix down process which was later on that fall of 2019 
then I started to feel like a flow to the thing. So I actually laid out the sequence, the way the nine songs play on the album, you know, the order of the songs. Uh, I, I put that together for myself so I could hear the thing as a whole. I could hear it in form and see what kind of story it tells, you know, these songs that Josh chose. And I showed that list to, to Josh. I said, try it in this order, you know, see what you think. And, and he did that. And he sent me an email back saying, yeah, that's, I like your list. I think this is great. It's not, it really hangs together. So, so in some way, without either of us necessarily intending to, we ended up with an album that, that works as an album, you know, long form. It's not just a random collection of songs at all. Although it absolutely appeared to be all the way up until then. <laughs> 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 and, I, you know, it's the same as writing songs for me. This is, I can tinker around with verses and I've always got a few lines scratched out on some papers or in the notepad on my phone. You know, there's always some stuff laying around. But then finally, when it's a song that's happening and it picks up its own momentum and I follow it until I've got a finished song, that feels like an external force is at work. And I think that's part of what's thrilling about it. That's part of what keeps me involved in it. You know, because if I really thought it was up to me to, to tinker around with, with words and rhymes until I'd, I'd come up with something I thought was sufficiently clever, you know, that maybe somebody would go, oh, geez, that's neat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that's, I'm not in it for that at all. Uh, so the, the idea that this whole album is, is infused with that same feeling of a thing that, that kind of gathered up its own momentum and, and even seemed to have pulled its own pieces into place so that it could happen in this way is, uh, in a way, it feels really just natural and normal. And in another way, just like every song that comes off like this, it has that same feeling of like, oh, shit, it happened again. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I got here for it again. And, I, and that's pretty much the buzz that I live for, Thomas. That's, that's where I'm at. No, I hear you. Yeah, the it's always I, I guess I've I've talked about this before on different episodes, so uh, you know, there's probably listener fatigue to, the, to me saying this, but I, I do really believe it. Uh you know, I've been around some some co writes when, when they've been taking place and you know, these artists, these songwriters, there's this like different place they go to. There's a different plane that you kinda end up on when you're writing a song that you know, you're, you're almost like in a fever or in a fervor. Uh, you're, you can end up being like just so excited about the writing process. And it's almost like a manic state in some situations where, you know, these people, like these songwriters, you, you kind of, you can fall into writing a song. And obviously that's the most important thing at the moment. And, you know, that's a, that's what's what's kind of amazing is like I, I think like we all kind of can do that too. Not necessarily with, not everyone's a songwriter, but whatever your thing is, when you get into the groove, you know we've all seen, you know the, the clips of Michael Jordan scoring you know sixty points, sixty three points in a game, and you know he's got that fire in his eyes. Um, 
And there's something, yeah, and it, there's something to that as far as other songwriters or musicians or artists or just whatever you do, you can get in that zone and, and, uh, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a magical thing to see. Well, and, uh, so maybe you're, maybe you're divulging here or confessing Thomas that you're a fellow songwriter, <laughs> uh, no, but no. that's the buzz, you know, that feeling like. I think you can induce this to some extent. You know, you can start to play around with, with uh, an idea or some ideas until it it feels like it it gathers up some energy and and it starts to lead you. Uh, I I have been probably more of the the wait until some you know overpowering feelings strikes me. I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden there's some lyrics going through my mind and. And then I've got the goosebumps, and I'm like, "Oh, this is some good shit." And then I just need to figure out a way to get to a place where I can just stay with that. And uh, and that that again is that's the buzz that I'm probably addicted to at this point, really. But yeah, it feels a little out of body, you know. And I think you're right. I think probably any any creative person. And maybe this isn't even limited to creative people. Somebody told me once some definition of artist that is is anything you do at the highest possible level, right? That counts as art. That's what uh, I I accept that definition. I don't think it's the only one, mm-hmm. but that there's there's something undeniably wonderful about. Uh, orienting your mind and orienting yourself spiritually so that whatever you do, you know, if you're an electrician and you stand back and look at the work and, and you know, your, your wiring is elegant, you know, your panel is beautiful and, uh, and, and you feel a, a transcendent feeling of satisfaction in what you've just done, then that's the feeling of, of making art. I think that's a valid example of that. I want to break one more time to talk about our pals over at Desert Door and offer up a quick Thomas Mooney's cocktail minute. As I've said probably a hundred times by now, by no means am I a seasoned mixologist or bartender. But these have been some of my Desert Door go-tos. For starters, let's just go with the tried and true ranch water. Pop the top off the Topo Chico, take a good swig, now pour in some Desert Door, and top it off by throwing in a few lime wedges. Never fails. This one, it's so simple it probably doesn't even count, but again, pretty foolproof. Do the exact same thing, but get you a Mexican Coca-Cola. I guess you can go with a regular one, but you're really cutting yourself short if you don't opt for the Mexican import variety. All right, here's the changeup you've been waiting for, Desert Door Sangria. This one is prime for when you have company coming over and you aren't wanting to just be over there making six different drinks at a time. What you'll need is some Desert Door, obviously, a bottle of red wine, honey, boiling water, apple cider, apple cider vinegar, some cinnamon sticks, a couple of apples, and some thyme sprigs. I know, that may sound intimidating, but trust me, it's worth the prep, and honestly, it's pretty easy. For starters, get you a punch bowl, add that honey, those cinnamon sticks, and the boiling water together. Now, you're going to want to stir that all up. 
and let it cool down for about an hour or so. Remember, patience is a virtue. Once that's done, add some Desert Door and stir vigorously. Now add the wine, the cider, and the vinegar and continue stirring until it's equally mixed. Now slice those apples up and toss them in. Put in those thyme sprigs as well. Now you can pour that over some ice and you have a mighty fine sangria. Chef's kiss. Anyway, those have been some of my favorite go-tos as of late. And remember, Desert Door is as versatile as vodka and more refined, smooth, complex, and intriguing than tequila. It's rich in balance, and whether you decide to keep it simple or want to experiment, Desert Door is that perfect Texas spirit. There's plenty more recipes over at DesertDoor.com as well. Check out the show notes for a link. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, the, the satisfaction at the, the end of the workday in a lot of ways. The, the, the other thing that you're, you're kind of talking about that I'm fascinated with when it comes to the songwriting is, you know, sometimes we, we think of the songwriting as just when you pick up the pen and paper and you pick up the guitar and you're writing down lines. But, you know, there's, there's usually like a big time period before then, before that even happens where you're just kind of thinking about the song, thinking about it. And you're, you know, you mentioned like if you're driving down the road and a line comes to you, you know, that that's also part of the songwriting process as well. And, you know, just when you're thinking about that idea and you're letting it kind of stew up and you're, you know, you, you, whatever, whatever task you're doing, if it's driving down the road or just washing dishes and you're thinking about this idea, how often does that happen for you? And do you, do you feel, do you, or do you find that, you know, you're thinking about a song idea a lot longer than maybe the actual writing down of the lyrics? I think that you're onto something here, which for me, the way that translates or, or maybe the, the, my best description of it is that it's, there is a kind of discipline and this won't look like discipline probably to the outside observer, (laughs) (laughs) but there is a kind of discipline to keeping your mind oriented in, in just such a way that you, that you, uh, are an idea collector you know that you it's a listening mind it's an awareness kind of uh sensibility so that like for instance with clay bluffs you know when i was we were having the cheeseburger uh late in the evening right before the the joint closed uh, in that, that place in casper and there and it was just my wife and i and this other young couple in the whole place and this kind of cold winter night and everybody's just kind of hustling through their food. We need to get back in the van. We're heading south and the wind's blowing the snow sideways across the interstate. We know it's going to suck out there, but we're not going to spend the night in Casper. We got ground to cover, you know? So mm-hmm. at the same time, this other, this other, this young couple who was in there because it was just the four. Well, there was five of us because they had a little baby in a car seat on the floor next to their table. And, and that maybe that was the thing that kind of piqued my awareness. But I, so I wasn't eavesdropping in any uh, intentional way, but I, I was absorbing both the vibe of this young couple and also some of the things they were talking about. 
and it was very, very moving for me. And then, I mean, we hadn't been back in the van probably 20 miles down the interstate. And I started typing the lyrics to the song Clay Buffs into my, the notepad on my phone was the handiest thing. And it was dark, you know, so you can do that. And, and it, I mean, that's pretty much the way the song lays on the record. You know, that was, uh, it, it was just, and so it just in daily life, yeah. And it tends to be times when it's not really convenient at all. Like you said, in the shower or washing dishes or, or like out here on my, uh, I like to refer to it as my tractor. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I've got two acres of grass to keep mowed here just so it doesn't go to weeds. You know, I'm, right. I'm not. I'm nobody's version of the of the the, the Condé Nast gardener, but uh, I spend a fair amount of time in the summer uh, riding around on my on my lawn tractor <laughs> <laughs> with ear protection on because I I'm trying to preserve that and and I, yeah out there all sweaty with with a bunch of like grass seed and and duff stuck all over me and then of course then I'll start feeling something i'll start hearing some words in my head it's a big commitment sometimes you know to just be the guy who's like this is important this is what i'm supposed to be here for i've got to shut down this tractor and leave the grass tall so i can go someplace where with a pen and some paper and 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 address this you know that and uh, admittedly i a lot of, of the time i don't you know i just go ahead and stay in the shower and Finish washing my hair. <laughs> By the time I get out, my wife or my kids or somebody's talking to me or the phone rang or some shit. And then, you know, whatever that magical moment, that, that goosebumps idea that I was having, that it may be gone forever. And, uh, and that's part of it, too. But just, you know, knowing it isn't going to be the last time. And knowing that it's really my job if if, if I if this can be properly described as a job is to stay open and maintain a listening kind of consciousness so that I can hear and feel the things going on around me that that become songs. You know, it almost feels as if as if the world needs music. The world needs these things. We humans, we need this stuff and and it and it comes through us but it's a foment of energies that's going on around us all the time. And the, and the thing, the trick, if it's a trick, is to just be in a state of mind so that you can hear it. Yeah, you you have to be, you know, I, I guess there's, I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's like the, the, the Ray Wiley Hubbard thing of like, don't question inspiration, you know. Uh, but, you know, also it's okay to go back and edit, you know, or whatever the case is because – I guess like sometimes you have, you have to, you know, and it's, it's a process of figuring out what that point is of, of knowing when a song is a song. And then when, you know, something's just a, you know, you're just doing it for the process of, you know, being academic, I guess, in a sense, right. Of, of just doing something in a, in a way of, and maybe just thinking about something and then letting it go. And, you know, as you mentioned right there, you, you know, it's also, you, you're, you're married, all that kind of stuff. You have to find that balance of 
of knowing when to take those moments of like, okay, I, I have to stop mowing the grass. I have to, you know, everyone don't bother me for a minute. I got to go do this. And then also, you know, when to let those things go, because it can be impractical in, in both ways. If you go too far in one direction or the other. Yeah. And, and if you're, you know, my, again, I've, I've been 18 for a long time. And if you're, if, if the way that your way of being is causing a lot of friction in your relationships, then eventually that's going to break down, you know, and it doesn't, that turns out to be not uh, conducive to, uh, I've certainly written a lot of songs after I had wrecked some relationships, <laughs> you know, that that's a really powerful time to, to express uh, some powerful emotions. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I can't, I can't endorse that as you find me now, uh, having written, I don't even know how many songs I've forgotten. I'm sure way more songs at this point than I still remember that I have written. And I'm sure that they're not all great songs, you know, really. I'm, I, I hope that I have written at this point, maybe a dozen songs that would really matter. Like if I died tomorrow and somebody dug up my, my, my box set material, they would find maybe a dozen or 15 songs in there that, that really have the timelessness, you know, that would really matter over the long term. I hope I really, that, that, that seems to me to be uh, a, a pretty realistic uh, kind of ratio, <laughs> you know, write a few hundred, maybe get a dozen. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, that is the, it's like playing baseball, right? Of the, you know, uh, if you're, if you bat, you know, 300, you just hit the ball three out of 10 times, you know, you're considered great. And then if you do it just slightly a little bit more, you're considered like an all timer, you know, um, it, it, there very much is, uh, that thing where, you know, you're not going to get it right the first time. And there's, there's plenty of times that you don't get it right between some of those great moments. And, you know, as you mentioned, or as we kind of talked about for the, even this record, you know, that you had, 25 plus songs. And I'm sure there was probably more that didn't even make the Dropbox. So you have plenty of material that, that was going to be here, but sometimes you just have to to finish a song just because it may get, get you onto the next one or, or whatever the case. So uh, that's that's just part of it. I I think maybe also like, uh, you know, especially when I was younger in my, in my, my twenties and and probably through my thirties, I felt like if, if uh, if I was going to issue a song into the world, you know that it it had to be uh, some exceptional thing. It had to be a landmark piece of art. Uh, I, I I've had myself all to myself growing up in Montana, so it's not like I've had even a, a a vibrant community like there in Lubbock, you know, where I would have friends come over and listen to my new song and go, "Yeah, dude, it's okay." <laughs> <laughs> So I felt like, you know, it was up to me to, to be making these decisions and I was going to hold myself to the highest possible standard. And there's a lot of validity to that. I think we have to be our own worst critic, maybe too, uh, although there are plenty of harsh critics out there to help with that as you go along, always. But I feel like maybe somewhere in my 40s, I started to grant myself permission to just enjoy a song. Mm-hmm. So, 
something moved me enough to write it and and i went ahead like crazy too from from the new record is one of these that i just kind of dashed off in a mood i didn't go back through it and like for instance i wouldn't normally rhyme down with down <laughs> yeah like i did in that first verse you know mm -hmm. I took a second look at that before we actually cut it, and I was like, well, I could rephrase this, I guess, but is it really going to matter, you know, long term, what this song is for and the feeling that it's here to impart? I think we can rhyme pedal down with slowing down this time, and we'll just go with it because, you know, shit. It's a fun <laughs> song. It gives you a fun feeling, you know? This song is just there. It's almost like I feel like more for a visceral feeling. Than, than to have the, the the didactic kind of lyric credibility that I normally insist on. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. There, there's sometimes I think we, we we take all this too serious, and sure, like we need like great art and art in general. You want people to take it serious, but like it's it's also at the same time we're not, you know, breaking down the atom and. You know, not every song has to be waiting around to die or, you know, uh, Dublin City Blues or you know, or Dublin Blues or, you know what I mean? Like, the, not everything yeah. has to be the, you know, poncho and lefty or something. You know, it, not everything has to be at that, you know, that level, that 1% or whatever the thing is. But, you know, it, it's, it's all about that balance, you know? I feel like, and I grew up with... You know, Ward, like Ward Davis calling me the Bob Dylan of Montana I was seemed like an off-the-cuff remark when he said that. And, and that's the way he introduced me to Cody Jinks and, and Josh Thompson, by the way. was, And I was instantly flattered and a little shell-shocked because <laughs> I'm about to reach out and shake Cody Jinks' hand, and he's just heard that I'm the Bob Dylan of Montana. And I was like, what? In the, are you sure, Ward? <laughs> <laughs> that's where you, okay, okay. But, uh, you know, as a songwriter, I'm just going to go ahead and admit that I've spent uh, a lot of time stoking my head, you know, being deeply immersed in in, in the work of uh, Bob Dylan. And so, if, if you're now now we have this seeming impossible standard, right? If we're going to hold ourselves to the standard of of making a landmark piece of art, and especially something that is is lyrically literate enough that it might earn us uh, a Pulitzer Prize or a Nobel Prize. Bob has won both of those. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I mean, seriously. So, if you haven't written your your twelve minute uh, um, ballad like "Visions of Johanna" or "Desolation Row," right. then you know, I guess it's all still out there in front of you, bud. And that's and that's great. That's aspirational stuff. And just when you thought that Bob had done that and was done with it, then this new album comes out. Have you heard this stuff? Yeah, the that's what I was. You're 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 talking about the the twelve minute song there. What's the the new one about the uh, about JFK being like that? I feel like it's even longer. I, I can't even remember what it is. How long it is? I think it's actually seventeen minutes. Yeah, I, I thought it was something like that, and it's like. You know, there it's, it's 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 real moving. You know what I mean? It's like that's a you still are going, man. He's uh seventy something years old, and he's still saying something profound. Yeah, but it's called the murder most foul. By the way, I just wanted to make sure mm -hmm. that we the title of the song we're talking about. And uh, and then there's another 
cut on that record too that yeah the, so here's a guy who you know for sure has already said it all right by now going on 70 studio albums i think is is his career uh, at this point and yet he's still sufficiently moved to write and to cut a song like a murder most foul in which evidently he has not said it all yet <laughs> yeah because here's some more stuff bob would like to say and it's and it's very salient and 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 deep and and ponderous uh lyrical poetry so yeah i still feel like a babe in the woods in some ways and that's a thrill you know to feel like uh, even after I've been messing around with this for as long as I have, that there's still a wide open horizon out there of of ways to explore doing this thing that are that still feel certainly brand new to me, you know. Yeah. And uh, well, I'm going to go out there and find stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think so too. It's. I, it's in a way it's comforting and reassuring when, when someone like Dylan or hell, like, you know, Larry McMurtry, the, the, the novelist or like Cormac McCarthy, these guys are all, uh, were working in their old age. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the, and they're finding new stories to tell. And of course, like the, I'm a big Cormac McCarthy fan and his, uh, his next, uh, book is supposed has been, supposed to be coming out the like the last five years but we're still waiting for it but uh it, it's it's uh yeah it's there's something reassuring about like you know there's still being stuff to to find and discover even when you feel or you know when you're when you're 20 when you're 30 you kind of almost feel like that's there's what are you doing at 70 or if you've told all the stories and you know these these are accomplished people and yeah for just even someone like me, maybe there's going to still be stuff to do at uh, at that age, you know. Undoubtedly, uh, yeah. If you if you maintain a sincere curiosity, you know, a, a listening mind, I I believe that you'll find that the material is 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 going to be there, you know, virtually endless, and. Uh, and then the way that you interpret it, you know, after you've witnessed the material, and the way that you interpret it is going to change and evolve as you do, you know, as you age and become in some ways more cynical, you know, you have a more active filter for stuff. And then in other ways, you're also a little more devil may care because, you know, in some ways, what the hell, this is just another song and I'm going to keep making them anyway. So you've got a little license, you know, you don't have to bear down on everything you do like it's the last damn, like it's your legacy moment. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, it's wonderful. There's a, there's an increasing feeling of freedom about it that I'm finding anyway. I'm only 52 as of this summer, but I've been writing songs since I was a child and, and it's starting to feel like a, a kind of a long time that I've been doing this, this relationship that I've had with uh with the muse with the music and you know i don't feel like it's a waning thing at all yeah this isn't something that's subsiding for me in any sense <laughs> it's 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 a big big thing out there 
Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the, how, how has it, I guess, been, you know, not necessarily like we, we need to start talking about the next record or anything like that, but how has this past year been, you know, where, I guess not technically 2021, but I mean, more the 2020 uh, year as far as when, you know, you're off the road, everyone's kind of in isolation in these quarantines. Did you find that, uh, how did you, I guess, find that when it, when it came to, you know, doing art and writing songs? Was it, were you able to uh, find the, the, the space and the places to, to go to, or, or did you find it a little bit more difficult to, to figure out and navigate? Man, it's an interesting question. It's a really good question, actually, uh, Thomas. This, I feel like I stepped through a pretty obvious sequence of steps, you know, looking back on it now. The first step was, oh, uh, so I've, I'm just going to stay home for a while. You know, there doesn't appear to be anything else I can do. Obviously, I'll be I'll be writing and playing my guitar and and uh, just laying low for a while. You know, I started to look forward to that a little bit. Let's do that. And then as I started like, going through the process of like, going through the, the blank books where I write stuff down or, or the, the sheaf of papers that I always seem to have laying around my desk or something, and I'm seeing things and nothing's really turning me on, you know? And so I began to think, well, that's because this is a moment, you know? We're in one of those moments. Uh, it's a hundred-year pandemic, right? Mm-hmm be alive during one of those times so then i started to feel like well i need to address that you know as a writer i i I should have something to say about that and and it rapidly turned into a very virulent political environment you know i mean the social media stuff was getting really really wild and reckless and and angry and then i wanted to speak to that i started to write some things like well here's what i have to say about that and then I realized, well, okay, <laughs> uh, I'm probably not ready to make some career-defining statements, you know, that boil down to contests of opinion with people on Facebook. <laughs> you know, okay. So I kind of set that aside and it's like, okay, well, I just need to cool off. I, you know, I'm not in a bad way here. I live in uh, in a rural state outside of town. You know, I don't have to avoid people on the regular. I can stay home. This is going to be okay. And I and I, so I gradually started to open back up into just the wider world of like how I write songs. What do I write about? You know, the the experience of viewing the world through through my eyeballs and how I process things and how I feel and and letting that kind of percolate. You know, and 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 digest and move around and then i started to write some things that you know were just sean divine songs finally they weren't about a global pandemic and they weren't about like hateful rhetoric on social media and they it didn't have to be you know i didn't i I relieved myself of a feeling like that i'm supposed to respond to all this you know because the world needs to hear my opinion as a songwriter and, and so in the end, by the time I was back to work on this record and, and, and focused on, on getting a project out in the world and, and, uh, and, and telling the story about it, and I was thrilled about all that, I hadn't actually written very much. <laughs> you know? I'd only come up with a couple, three new songs uh, and a bunch of, of new starts, you know, and ideas that I've got laying around right now that I feel really, uh, really excited about. Uh, that I 
uh, it, it took me all that time in a way to just kind of process the process of getting back to just being the guy that I have always been. And, and I reckon that I'm really supposed to be. And in some ways, I feel like I was I was temporarily kind of led astray by the idea that, uh, you know, a global pandemic was supposed to call on something for me to do something else. Right. Well, that that's, you know, that's re- kind of, you know, in its own way, reassuring right there is that, you know, you ended up sometimes you have to go in these you have to. I guess, be indulged in these hypothetical ideas of what I'm going to write about just to get back to that point where you're like, okay, well those you've exhausted those ideas and let's get back to the, the thing that I do best. And maybe that's right there at the very beginning again, but you know, uh, now, you know, you don't necessarily have to write the, you know, the three minute song about Twitter and Facebook and, you know, (laughs) but I don't have to do that. Oh. You know, <laughs> if you if you hear a Sean Dubine song coming up in the future that appears to reference some feeling about having lived through the hundred year pandemic or something, I I hope. Uh, I mean, I feel like I can say with with some confidence that that you're going to hear a reference to that 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 calls back to a higher mind, a higher consciousness. You know, a way that. Mm-hmm that it comes back down to really some basic fundamentals about what it is to be human and to be vulnerable, you know, and, and the idea that it suddenly feels like your culture around you is, is in flames in some way because everybody's freaked out and they don't know how to cope. Well, that still draws back to some really essential parts of our nature, you know, as human beings. And, uh, you know, hopefully we have we, we all get to live through that. Now, obviously, a lot of people did not get to live through all that. You know, so their story is, is, is done now. But for those of us who do actually get to live through it, hopefully we, we get to a point where we can consider all this again in light of, of the really basic essential stuff of, you know, compassion and empathy and, and understanding that if if somebody feels a need to write some long hateful post on Facebook about their politics or or something that you know obviously that's a person who is in a deep and desperate struggle inside of themselves and they could probably use uh, a sweet song <laughs> you know <laughs> that just makes them feel like if they can just find a little space around themselves and take a deep breath that this can actually be okay. No, and I'm maybe not, I'm, yeah, I'm right there with you on all that. That's absolutely sometimes like, you know, you, you think like, how did this person get to this spot? And, you know, obviously a lot of times it's just the, the frustration and the, the pressure that maybe you don't even necessarily know about. Um, now, granted, like there's probably plenty of other stuff that's going on as well. That you can say, about them being selfish or, or whatever the case, but you know, a lot of times it's just the pressure of life that they've not been able to figure out the way to cope. And you know, sometimes the the escapism of a of a song or a TV show or a book or just a five minute walk around the block does the wonders. I it does for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, when I'm feeling stressed out, 
about some things and I, I do believe it or not man I get stressed out about something and uh, and I'm drawn back to a song you know I mean if if you can if you can sit and listen to Guy Clark's my favorite picture of you all the way through and you started out in some kind of amped up and anxious disposition if you come out the other end of that feeling the same way <laughs> They, you probably need to up the meds or something. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I mean, that music is there to help fix your world into into a a, a more timeless uh, place. You know, into a into a space that appreciates both the the immediate, you know, the seeming mundane, and at the same time, using those same those archetypal images as a way to transcend the whole experience. And so that you can sail on, you know, uh, maybe just a little bit of elevation there, just get above it all. And music is can do that. And I think it's for that, frankly. You know, that's I turn to it when I need it, and it's always been there for me. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with all that. You know, so yeah, um, I'm always so horrible at ending these, but. Man, it's been such a, a great pleasure talking this afternoon about this record and about songs and, you know, about what what a surreal time this has been this past couple of years. But, you know, <laughs> I, I think we're, we're going to be okay. I, I don't know. I'm taking the optimist route and thinking we're going to end up being okay after, after if we just kind of handle things right properly. Take a little bit of time. Get those, uh, listen to more songs. My commitment is that I'm I'm going to do everything that I can do about just staying true to myself, and I'm going to keep making art that that lifts me up, you know, that makes me feel good or better, and uh, for as long as I can, for as long as I live, whether that's a week or another 40 years, I, I my intention is to just keep putting the proverbial foot in front of the of the other and uh until i get there <laughs> yeah absolutely man yeah it's uh yeah next time you're, you're coming through love if you know i'll we'll go have a beer or something like oh i would be delighted to do that and i hope i can come through love again before too long you know i've been in touch with Parker. all right that is it for this one be sure to check out here for it all by sean divine Go stop on over and visit our presenting partners over at Desert Door, The Blue Light Live, and Charlie Stout Photography. Go pre-order The Lubbock Way by me, Thomas Mooney. And yeah, I'll see y'all later this week for another episode.